Hail Traveler, and welcome back to the D&D podcast where I share my thoughts on roleplay, immersion, and how to better enhance both at your table. In this episode, I'll be focusing on different styles of play in terms of the setting and tone of your game's world. If you can't decide on a direction for your game, stay a while and listen. And by the end of this episode, you may find yourself better equipped to push forward. I'm your story guide, Alan Niles, and this is Outside the Dice. So far in this podcast, I've gone over subjects like dice mechanics, combat-specific ideas, and better incorporating character attributes in driving roleplay. But since those last few episodes have been pretty heavily focused on mechanics and rules, I thought that today I could do something a little different. This episode is a bit more subjective and introspective. If you're looking to create your own homebrew campaign, it's important to decide what type of game you'll actually be playing. Will this game be gritty and realistic, or will it be epic and fantastic? Is it going to be dark and gloomy, or lighthearted and whimsical? Even if you're playing a pre-written campaign, instead of creating something from scratch, the narration is what really controls that tone, even though there's bound to be some tone written in already. But just because you're DMing Curse of Straw, that doesn't mean the game has to be spooky scary. I mean, all you have to do is replace Strahd with Count Chocula, and the players are suddenly playing a very different game than they would have if you played as written. Make a broad stroke, and start from there. Okay, so I say start from there, but what I really mean is that will be step two. Step one should be to communicate with your players what kind of campaign you're looking to lead. It's really hard to mesh a dark and gloomy narrative with a table of halflings that just want to bake the world's biggest pizza. There should be an established expectation of what kind of game the players are looking to follow, and the DM is hoping to lead. Otherwise, it can become frustrating for one side or the other, if either side isn't getting exactly what they thought they were going to when they started the game. But once the table has decided on an agreeable tone for the story, you can now make some broad strokes. On one side of the spectrum, we've got dark and dreary. I think of Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, and, you know, whatever DC has been doing with its movies for the past eight years. This choice of tone will most likely move a little bit more slowly, but it does work well for long-winded campaigns with a major story arc. NPCs will be wary of outsiders, the choices the characters make will almost always be difficult ones with heavy consequences and sometimes no real right answer. The victories one may often hold heavy loss within themselves. Even as I'm recording this, I'm like, who would want to play a game like this? I play D&D to escape the depressing things in life, not endure them further. Dark themes are definitely more bleak overall, but it can feel so rewarding overcoming a challenge when it feels like it wasn't just handed over. When players have to make impactful decisions against overwhelming odds and come out on top, it really feels great. And it's those small victories and pockets of light in an otherwise dark world that can make a story really enjoyable. 
The gothic horror elements found in Barovia and the abundant despair found in the Shadowfell make great backdrops to a story like this. And though towns may be populated with untrusting folk, sullen moods, and dreary times, it's the deeds of the adventurers that leave places a little bit brighter than when they arrived. On the opposite side of the spectrum, we have lighthearted and whimsical. The examples that come to my mind are the earlier seasons of Adventure Time, Steven Universe, and Last Airbender. The stakes can be super low with a tone like this, and it works great for one-shot sessions or episodic-style campaigns where your missions from session to session don't necessarily link up. Early episodes of Last Airbender is mainly comprised of the gang flying from town to town and resolving issues per episode. And same with Steven Universe, the entire first season is basically just fun adventures and demanding the bits. Much like these shows, you can create quests in a lighthearted campaign about pretty much anything and populate your towns with all kinds of silly characters like banana guards and candy citizens. The Feywild works really well for this sort of tone, and the story can be as fun and wacky as your table wants it to be. Now, that might all sound great, but the downside is that the excitement might not be that long-lasting. Because if the stakes are too low, then the victories that the party actually obtains will have less of an impact. Catching the town cookie thief probably won't carry the same accomplished feeling as, say, ushering in an era of peace after defeating the Empire's blood-crazed warlord. It's likely that your campaign's tone will fall somewhere between those two radicals, and will probably slide back and forth along that spectrum as you play your campaign, but setting the expectation and having that communication with your players is definitely a good starting place when beginning a campaign. So that's a pretty basic tip. And of course you're aware of your game's tone. I mean, even if you didn't decide on a tone, one would just exist naturally, right? But there's more to world building than just deciding how colorful and whimsical, or colorless and grimsical, your world is. And yes, a lot of times the tone of your game will come through in the way you react to player choices and through improvisation, but a few general rules can be tweaked as well to shift the direction you want your game to lean in. Depending on what story you're aiming to tell, some aspects of the game are going to hit differently. And one of those aspects is how your table deals with wounds and with rest. In my previous episode, I spoke at some length about reimagining the way HP is interpreted to give it a more grounded feel. The Dungeon Master's Guide goes even further in depth with offering realistic and gritty ideas for dealing with combat wounds. It offers a table in the combat options section of Chapter 9 regarding lingering injuries where a creature might have injuries carry over from combat and affect the character in additional ways. The DMG also offers options on healing and rest variants. If you want your story to carry a grittier tone, the DMG states you could rule that short and long rests are a day and a week instead of just an hour and eight hours. I love this idea so much because I'm a big fan of gritty, survival-style stories, and these rules amplify that aspect in a campaign extraordinarily. 
It makes me think of this video game called Darkest Dungeon, where you recruit adventurers to rebuild your hamlet while clearing out an infestation of eldritch monsters from different areas of your ancestral keep. There are lingering wounds you receive in the side-scrolling dungeon crawl, but there are also forms of madness that can overtake the adventurers. Also, each venture to rid a section of the keep of monsters lasts an entire week. Carrying that idea over to a D&D game can enhance that survival tone and give the table pause before rushing into situations, especially if there are other time-sensitive aspects of the game. It makes the party consider things like provisions and supplies, and question if sustaining lasting injuries would be worth the reward of questing. It also makes low-level creatures more vicious, which I love. One of my favorite enemies to populate my maps with, aside from bandits, is the Orc. Old Faithful, my tried and true. In the usual high fantasy style setting, they're fairly easy to cut down after you've gained a few levels. But if these things existed in the real world, I imagine it's similar to fighting a silverback gorilla armed with a machete. These things are terrifying! The party will still most likely be able to defeat a group of orcs, or bandits, or goblins with a fair amount of ease. But if lasting injuries are put into play, it becomes a much riskier encounter. But in addition to making these fairly easy enemies a little bit more difficult to overcome, elongating the time a long and short rest require allows the opportunity for players to set up a sort of home base. Much like the hamlet in Darkest Dungeon, the adventurers need a safe space to rest. Setting up camp in the woods might be sustainable for a night, but not a whole day and certainly not an entire week. Adding in factors like lingering injuries and madness just heighten that survival aspect and turn adventuring into some pretty serious business. I also like the idea of going into a dungeon with the mindset that you're not clearing it in a couple hours. That it's going to take an entire week to clear that dungeon. Doesn't change a lot mechanically, but it is pretty cool to think about in terms of the narrative. Again, on the opposite side of the spectrum, you could set a tone for a high fantasy style epic where the characters are basically superheroes. The DMG offers ideas to counter those long rest periods with radically shorter rest times. In that same chapter, the DMG suggests short rest periods of 5 minutes and long rest periods of an hour. This is great if the players are controlling characters akin to superheroes or demigods able to fight battle after battle, hardly slowing down because their magic and health refuel after waiting just an hour. Even warlocks would be helpful to a party. The way wounds affect the party would be completely different in this style, as normal commoners might watch a player character's cuts and gashes mend together and heal into scars over the mere course of an hour. But wounds and rest time are not the only way to enhance this mythic style of campaign. If the party resembles superheroes and demigods, just think of how their attributes would be perceived by the common people. A relatively high strength score, even just around 14 to 16, might allow a character to lift wagons and horses clear over their head. A dexterous character might move with blurring speed. Constitution could give a character a hardened look as if patches of stone or a metallic sheen covers their body. And while commoners might be amazed at the attributes that the characters have, that doesn't mean that just the player characters have these abilities. 
enemies that the characters face with high strength and high dexterity might have similar abilities, and creates a very clear power division between the common people and the super people. The battlegrounds in your campaign are going to look a lot more like scenes from X-Men or something. As with any variants that are offered by the DMG or created by unofficial sources, see what your table enjoys and what sounds exciting to everyone. But no matter how the heroes are depicted in terms of capabilities, there is an aspect of D&D which is pretty huge. I mean, it takes up the last, like, third of the player's handbook or something, so it's probably a big deal, right? But even though spellcasting is a big part of the general game, the tone can shift depending on how prominent and available magic is in your world. And all that stuff is up to you. When creating rules about a game where the players can choose to do literally anything, there's bound to be some blind spots where mechanics can be a bit vague. But spellcasting is not one of them. I thought I was exaggerating when I said that the player's handbook has a third of its pages dedicated to spellcasting, but of the 300 pages of content in the player's handbook, it seriously has 90 pages dedicated to the spells. It goes over different casting times, ways to cast, rituals, material components, magical focuses, areas of effects. The work has really been done on fleshing out the spellcasting system for this game. What's not really touched on, though, is the story side of spellcasting. We've got all the mechanical rules on how to cast spells in D&D, but it doesn't go in a lot of depth of what that looks like. Aside from some flavor text per spell and some optional adjustments in some hardcovers, the handbook doesn't explain a lot, but I love that, because that just means we get to decide, and how that fits the tone of your game is decided by you as well. When I think of magic, the first thing I think of is Harry Potter. So much magic. The newspaper has animated GIFs, letters are like voicemail messages, the chocolate is sentient, the stairs keep moving around so you don't know how to get to your dorm, magic, magic, magic. And then you have the actual spells portion of the world. Grab your arcane focus, learn the words, and bam, spells blasting off in every direction. Shooting spells, blocking spells, colors, fireworks, and craziness. I feel like this is sort of the intent with how D&D games are supposed to be run, though, with the amount of spells that can be cast, the amount of spellcasting classes, and the amount of magic items that exist in the campaigns. And if that's how you present magic in your world, your story is going to lend itself to that more whimsical, and zany side of the spectrum. Yes, the Harry Potter series gets darker as Harry pursues higher magical education, but because there is so much magic, it still retains that light-hearted aspect to it. This here is a curse that will instantly kill another human being, and this is a hopping chocolate frog? When magic is abundant like this and exists in nearly every aspect of life, it's presented in a way that a child might observe the world. How's it work? I don't know. Magic! It's childlike wonder embodied and injected into the world, so we've got flying broomsticks and wands that double as flashlights. 
Ruling magic as being a seemingly infinite resource in your campaign will add to a lighthearted and vibrant campaign setting. By having all of these things available in your scenery, players will walk into a town and watch as a gnome chases his flying broomstick around the village square. A loud explosion will be heard as they pass a hut, and the door will open to reveal purple smoke pouring out the doorway and a halfling coughing sparkles. Children contain their giggles as they keep casting prestidigitation to put out a candle that an old elf has to keep relighting. It's bright, it's fun, it's fantastic. But if you want a darker setting to play with, a more grounded or gritty setting, then the opposite path is a good route to go. Magic is scarce and unwelcome. Finding anyone who openly performs magic is nearly impossible, and learning the arcane language seems about as useful as majoring in Latin. Lord of the Rings, surprisingly, is actually a great example of low magic fantasy. People are not necessarily hateful towards magic, but there's only like five wizards on the planet, and the only magic item that the party obtains is a sword that glows when danger is near. I mean, that and a ring of invisibility, but it was crafted by, oh, you know, the devil. Game of Thrones also has a tone that I love because magic exists, but it's not until later in the series that they reveal it. Most of the plot is about a very realistic kind of revolution, and dragons and undead don't come into the picture until much later. Magic is exhaustive and hard to come by like summoning a shadow demon to assassinate the competition. And even when someone attuned with the arcane is found, people aren't always totally convinced and speculate if the magic is real, and if it is real, where the magic comes from, and if man is meant to dabble in such things. Cut to Harry Potter, who talks to a snake in the first five minutes of the movie and is like, I'm a wizard, Harry, and he's given a scholarship abroad or whatever. Having magic be scarce in your world enhances the power of it, if only a few people are able to wield it, and adds opportunities for cool dynamics with player characters if they've chosen a spellcasting class. Even something as simple as casting a light cantrip might captivate an audience or make a band of barbarians think twice about attacking the party. Now, that covers how abundant you'd like magic to be in your game, but I want to touch on what I had mentioned before really quickly. I mentioned that Wizards of the Coast did a great job with mechanical rules, but they left narrative rules pretty open to interpretation. Like, people still start Reddit threads asking what Eldritch Blast actually looks like. So, I wanted to bring attention to some magical aspects to consider that will further assist in shaping the tone of your campaign. As far as I'm concerned, if it's not in the flavor text and doesn't interfere with the hard rules, it's fair game. Eldritch Blast, for example, is just described as a beam of crackling energy that streaks toward a creature within range. The hard rules say that it takes an action to cast, requires verbal and somatic components, and deals force damage. A lot of people say they picture Eldritch Blast looking like purple energy that zaps forth like lightning, but... Even though the flavor text describes it as a crackling energy, make it whatever you want. All that description actually tells me is that the spell is not invisible and can be seen, and you need to use your hands and say something in order to cast it. 
I've played a warlock of the Archfey who used Eldritch Blast and the DM flavored it to grow small patches of grass and flowers along the spell's path. If you have a darker theme going, you could make it so a warlock's Eldritch Blast looks like they've summoned a flock of ravens bursting forth from the palm of their hand. The target is swarmed with ravens that claw and peck before dissipating into shadowy feathers that burn when they touch the ground. It's force damage, who cares? You could have it look like bright, glowing spectral fists that fly at the target, or like the character's shadow is quickly extending toward the enemy, leaping from the ground and passing through the enemy with a tangible oomph that knocks the air out of them. Curse of Strahd has some spell alterations as well. For instance, the alarm spell sounds like a scream, and Mage Hand looks like a skeletal hand. Alterations like these are done purely for aesthetic to help bring out the horror atmosphere, so think of how changing the spells might fit into your aesthetic. Prestidigitation, for example, allows the caster to do a number of things like create a sound, instantly light or snuff a candle, slam a door. If you wanted a fun and whimsical campaign, maybe there's a tiny little man that follows the wizard around, and any time the wizard casts prestidigitation, it's actually the tiny little man doing the thing, and just happens to be wherever the wizard was about to cast the spell. Lighting a candle is just a little magic boy quickly using flint to spark a fire on the candle, or doing their best imitation of a crow cawing, and just happens to be super good at it. Think of the five senses and how magic can interact with those senses. Does casting a spell look simple with instantaneous flashes of light with the whip of a wand, or does it involve complicated hand movements and create glowing arcane symbols like in Marvel's Doctor Strange movies? Does the caster need to charge the spell for a moment like their Goku firing off a Kamehameha, does casting have a recoil or an impact when a spell is fired off? Does it smell like anything? Does it leave any residual essence? There are a lot of narrative factors that are left open-ended that you can incorporate into your descriptions, and depending on how you choose to describe them, it can have a huge impact on the tone of your setting. I'm not saying you have to decide on every single factor, but it can help set the tone if you go into a campaign with a general thought on how spells work. It also lets your players know what to expect if they're going to cast a spell, if something isn't clarified. Like stating that all spells that belong to the School of Evocation create a loud noise upon casting, or something. That way, they know they can't cast a fireball without expecting to put everyone in the vicinity on high alert. I mean, if that's the only tip-off that a fireball doesn't put people on high alert, then there may be other issues you want to resolve with your players, but you get my point. There are many other general factors that can be tweaked to help achieve a solid tone for your setting, all from the general way that characters interact with the players to the depth of lore that you pour into your cities and world. But I thought those were some important things to cover. Communication with players is important, so everyone knows what to expect in the game to come. Tone isn't shaped just through dialogue and interaction, but also through dealing with lingering wounds, madness, and resting. Play with magic, because spells are such a huge part of D&D, but there's also so much room for descriptive experimentation. 
the way a spell is described can be the difference between having a character come off as Gandalf or Magic Man. And one other way to solidify tone? By finding new ways to think outside the dice. Magic! You're welcome, honey.